I'm Raynu. And I'm Melissa. Welcome to EndNote. We're two friends, two time zones apart, who discuss topics of our current state. We're talking race, class, culture, gender, and identity. With a few laughs in between. So join us in conversation as we dig a little deeper into how we see these issues that impact the world around us from two different perspectives. Welcome to the end note. What is this? Hello. Clink. <laughs> what are you drinking? Is it Hamica? Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Hamica. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Well, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the end note. Melissa here with my girl, Raynu. Hello. Happy International Women's Day. <laughs> so uh, last week's episode or two weeks ago, which was it? Two weeks. Recently, <laughs> we discussed our experience battling the COVID blues and the COVID blahs. Um, we also continued our Do We Know Her segment, and we shared what we're reading, watching, and listening to related to race, gender, class, and justice. That's right, Melissa. And it was a little long. So our goal this time is to tighten up a bit, but keep the content going. And that's what we hope that you will hear in this episode today. So this week, we're going to unpack the significance of designated celebration months and days like Black History Month, Latinx Month, Women's History Month, and on and on, and how we've experienced them as biracial women. But That's first, right. let's get into what we watched, read, apt, heard, or seen online. Ooh. Okay, let's talk about what we are into this week. So I've been listening to a few podcasts. One that's really caught my attention is Militantly Mixed. Militantly Mixed is about a woman named Charmaine. Um, she's from Long Beach, but she's also uh, grew up in Sacramento and parts of California. Um, it's award-winning. It's great. You don't have to be uh, mixed or biracial, multiracial to really appreciate her content. Um, love her. Totally recommend. Um, in terms of films, I did watch the U.S. versus Billie Holiday film. Mm. Really, really good. Um, and then, that? do you remember remember the actor? Andrew Day plays Billie Holiday, who's oh. a singer. Yes, I and, love her. And she actually won a Golden Globe for that performance too. Awesome. She beat out Viola Davis. So, if you oh. haven't seen Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That was a tremendous performance, and Andrew Day surpassed that. She really played the role, and I really recommend the film. It, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the era and what um, she was experiencing and going through um, with the government not wanting her to sing "Strange Fruit." Had no idea. Oh, interesting. Okay, mm -hmm. I will watch that. Yeah, it was all a, a a plot, a plan to keep her from singing that song in concert or in performance. So. Really, really the, good. For those who don't know about that song, it's a song about um, black folks being lynched and hanging from trees. Very haunting song. I, I love actually listening to it, but it's super disturbing. It's, it's haunting. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. Um, but the lyrics are very haunting. 
Um, and it's been remixed multiple times and sung by many people since then. Um, so it was it was really interesting to learn about what was going on at the time. And then just to hear her story. And I haven't read any books because I just didn't have time to do it. Uh, but I did finish Interior Chinatown, and I totally recommend that book. How did it feel to finish a book? <laughs> did you feel glorious? <laughs> I felt like I accomplished something. I felt like I accomplished something because I have a lot of half-read books. Um, and I read the other books that I mentioned a couple weeks ago. And the reason why is because I was held accountable. A friend of mine was doing a book swap. Mm. And so I had to have it finished by a certain time. Um, so that caught me to read. But man, that was like, it's like doing homework it's uh, like to get it finished in time. So at least this book, I could read at my leisure and I was done. And I did feel like I was adulting. <laughs> Uh, adulting, which was going to be the name of our podcast. <laughs> we first started talking about it, adulting. Yeah. yeah. All right, <laughs> Melissa, what are you into this week? That's hilarious. Um, well, book reading has not been my thing for a while. So I am totally loving the podcast that you've been introducing me to. So there's mm. three or actually, I think four of them that I've been listening to that you've turned me on to. One of which was militantly mixed, totally loved it. I really like um, Charmaine and how she walks you through um, her experience as a multiracial person. Uh, mm -hmm. So I've listened to probably three of her episodes so far. And so cool that she's from Long Beach. Hey, shout out Charmaine and all the, the mixed folks out there. Um, but here's the other three. Uh, the United States of Anxiety, love it. Mm -hmm. Economics Radio, love it. And I think is the one called There Goes the Neighborhood or that's yep. part of it. Okay. Which of those three are your favorite? Ooh, I actually like the one about Brooklyn. I think they're all great. Okay. Uh, Miami, I learned a lot. Okay. So uh, they talk about gentrification in Miami. I thought that was really interesting. Um, Brooklyn, you know, it's like common knowledge, you understand that Brooklyn is gentrifying. Which one were you into the most? Yeah, well, I only listened to the L.A. Um, part of the L.A. segment, and there goes the neighborhood. I was preparing for a presentation to talk about gentrification, so I mm. wanted to hear people's stories in addition to what I had heard. Um, so really love that. I, I'm interested in the New York one. Yeah, definitely want to hear that. Um, United States of Anxiety, I like that a lot. I listened to that last month um, to a couple of the episodes in the Black History series. Mm -hmm. Black History series and Blackness Uninterrupted, um, where they were talking about things like Ebonics and code switching and authors like Zora Neale Hurston, who there was controversy over some of her writing. She's very well known for Their Eyes Were Watching God. And actually, President, my teenager, was reading the book that weekend when I was listening to it. So I had her listen to the episode. So just the, the tension around language, tension in between Black folks on, on how are you supposed to speak, which I could relate to a lot growing up um, as a Black person and a multiracial person in the South. And then Freakonomics Radio, I'm really digging it. Um, listen to partly, I haven't finished, but just the first 15 minutes of this episode on a rescue plan for Black America that featured Charles Blow. You and I were talking about this. Uh, he wrote The Devil You Know, A Black Power Manifesto. I've ordered it. I will read this book. It should be here like tomorrow. <laughs> and so he is saying a lot about urging reverse migration to the South and consolidating power, creating a region where it's safe to be black, which is really a fascinating mind fuck idea of like, 
how can we live free as black people in the United States? Do we have to be that extreme where we need to have our own community and space? And, you know, Mm. I I hope we can talk a little bit about like being multiracial. I'm like, man, there's other people who are down with the cause that I would want in the community. I wouldn't want just my own kind of people, you know? Um, So yeah, he's got, got my wheels turning for sure. So I think if I had to look at all three of those, I'm digging Freakonomics. Yeah. Yeah. So you showed me, you forwarded that um, or shared that podcast with me and I listened to it yesterday. I really want to get the book. Even though I'm trying to to get off the book. I'll swap. You can be my accountability partner and I'll mail it to you. Great. Yeah. You may mail it back because I may want to use it later. (laughs) There's a lot of things to reference, even just from the interview with him in that podcast. Yeah. Uh, he says some interesting stuff. He says some really interesting stuff. So I love to read his book a little bit more. Uh, let's get into what I want to talk about this week. Um, but before we do that, we'll get into weird, wacky, or whoa. What's some weird stuff that we listened to or found out about this week? Here's one of my what I noticed this week um, driving through my neighborhood. There's this huge, like, um, what would you call it? It's also, it's kind of like a Humvee truck that's being parked around the corner from my house. Mm-hmm. Really odd looking. And then there's all this branding around it. It's our Long Beach Police Department. And it says, basically, you're being watched. <laughs> there's like these cameras on top. Because uh, it reminded me of kind of like the Google truck. Maybe you've seen the Google truck that's getting the mapping. Yeah. Right. With the with that weird camera thing on yeah. top. So this is a police, a big ass police truck that's just parked on the street by this park. Um, and they're just recording. They've been there for days. Uh, it's eerie. It's creepy. I have a feeling that a lot of activity happens on that street because it's um houses are on one side of the street, the park's on the other side. It's very mm-hmm. long, kind of dark. Stuff probably happens there in right around the corner from my house. So I, I don't know what that's about. I've been wanting to, to look it up, but it's intimidating. It's huge. Um, so that was a what for me. And then pair that with an article um, that I read this week in Long Beach at lbpost.com from a few days ago. Okay. The Long Beach Police Department kept officer on duty for eight months amid accusations he shared sex abuse images. Like really just disgusting. This guy, this officer, he's been around in the Long Beach Police Department for 26 years, 56 year old dude. He's erased the data on his phone before detectives searched it, but it was leaked that he had children as young as age. Oh who my were God. Abused, and he posted these explicit images of children on a me, we account. I'm not, I don't, I'm not familiar with that, but that is just like, it's just so gross. You just can't get away from the corruption that, the police system can incubate. Um, it, yeah, that was a what? Yeah. Wow. That's a what? Wacky. Whoa. Weird. All of that. <laughs> funky, funky. I will tell you, um, though, kind of on a lighter note, possibly, um, I had a whoa moment where I was talking with someone and they were telling me their experience um, being black and Puerto Rican on the East coast and traveling the country. Cause he's very kind of undro- androgynously, racially androgynous looking. Right. Mm-hmm. And meeting folks like who are native American who shared with him history about their heritage. And he started talking to me about black Indians. So I went down hmm. a rabbit hole 
until two in the morning researching black Indians. And I've been hearing about indigenous black people in the United in North America that imagine what if folks from Africa actually traveled the planet well before Columbus and mixed with communities that were indigenous in other places. So there is some history around really building ships or floats or rafts and traveling with winds and, you know, all of this stuff. So fascinating to think about what if, and to start to research and hear what people are putting on YouTube and studies. And to me, I'm like, why not? Why couldn't other people have traveled? Why would it have been the white man only that was able to travel under other places? Like when you look at Fiji islands and Samoa and Hawaii, you know, like there are many places where human beings have been well before the white man, they got there somehow. So that's opening a whole new world of, hmm, whoa, okay. Making me black, think. Black indigenous. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So when you when you initially said that, I thought you meant like indigenous of African descent, maybe through like intermarriage, and then they just stayed within the community. Huh. Okay. I just know that lots of black folks, we know we have indigenous heritage, Native American indigenous, mm-hmm. um, North American Indian, right? But I think there's a whole lot more that that could be explored and popularized. Wow. You know, and I can get it in our textbooks. So that'd be a good one. Well, speaking of more to explore, I'm just going to continue with my Mars mm. <laughs> updates. <laughs> uh, so as everyone knows, I'm obsessed with space travel, space exploration. Um, one, there is a hotel that is set to be um, ready to go in space what? in 2027. It's an international endeavor. Yes, it's going to be a 12-pod hotel uh. um, for whoever has money to do so. Wow. 2027. Um, and then also pictures of mars they see that mars is not red and i think that's amazing it looks like the desert it looks like the california desert with rocks boulders um yellow sand just like the desert so i thought that was interesting mm-hmm. would you visit if you could would i visit mars or sp- i would do the space hotel space. i would totally do the space, space hotel, hotel. Would, you visit, would you visit mars no it's seven months to get there and seven months oh back. God. That's a little too wow. long for me. Yeah, that is a bit much. So many well, things can go wrong. Nope. <laughs> no, thank you. How right. long would it take to the space hotel? Um, the news story that I read, which was on the BBC, didn't give a time, like the amount of time. Yeah. Um, but what it usually takes people, there's an international space station. And they get there in about six hours. Mm. Wow. So maybe. That's faster. Well, about the same amount of time of here to Hawaii. Yeah. More or less. Okay. All right. Wow. I'm down for the space hotel for the Uber rich. Okay, (laughs) cool. Uber to space. (laughs) With the Uber rich. (laughs) (laughs) And then also, you know, want to get into right where we are in our calendar month, right? Spring is coming. It's International Women's Day by the time this comes out. And we just finished Black History Month. So I wanted to get into a little bit about what's going on with our months. What are these months? Why do we have them? And then talk a little bit about 
where we are in 2021 and understanding its impact it has on our on our daily lives, what we learned about them, and then what we can do moving forward. Yeah, so we're going to take some time today to talk about recognition, celebration, and exploration of our identities. Ooh, what a world we live in, or maybe may move out of. <laughs> All right, so now I'm excited to get into our topic for today, titled called Recognition, Celebration, and Exploration of Our Identities. Melissa, I think the, the theme of exploration is coming into oh. our topic today. Yeah. Wah, wah. So we just <laughs> finished Black History Month uh, for the month of February, and we're now International Women's History Month with today being International Women's Day. Um, so I want to talk about like what the scoop is, what we're celebrating, and why we're doing it um, with a highlighter focus on Women's Month and Black History Month. All right. So March is officially Women's History Month in the United States. March 8th is International Women's Day. And International Women's Day really may not be something we think about or celebrate unless you follow Instagram or Facebook and you might see hashtags happening around International Women's Day on March 8th. I think a lot of us or some of us are starting to see that now. Um, but it's been around for a really long time. It's been around, it began in 1911, um, just the women's movement and having um, its history and uh, a push to move forward as women internationally started, it actually sprouted out of the Industrial Revolution, whereas women were um, in the workforce more than ever and did not have the same rights as men. Uh, longer hours, less pay. There was no maternity leave. They were expected to work until the day of their delivery. And then they had to come back to work two days later. Like There was some serious um, oppression happening at that time. So women decided, hey, enough is enough. But by the year 2000, the world had moved on. Feminism wasn't as much a thing as it had been in previous decades. Um, but it wasn't until 2001 uh, where internationalwomensday.com came about, which I thought was interesting. The platform was launched with a specific purpose of kind of re-energizing that day um, celebrating, making visible the achievements of women, and then also continuing the call to accelerate the gender parity that has been well acknowledged, like the history of our planet. Yeah. Um, and what I really think was interesting in, in 2011, during their 100th, 100 uh, year uh, anniversary, um, that's when it became, I think, revitalized again under the Obama administration. There was just the use of social media, I think, is what really sparked its movement. Um, but what the um, internationalwomensday.com, I really recommend people take a look at that. It's a tremendous resource. I mean, they have resources for consultants with like diversity in the workplace. Um, they have resources for parents. Um, really just great information in this website. And it's a .com. So it's a, it's a for-profit. Um, mm. But it has um, a lot of information on there, which to me is inspiring. The colors are purple, green, and white. Love that color combination. That every year or? Yep. Oh. Every year. White is for purity, relatively speaking. Green is for hope. And purple um, symbolizes justice. Oh. 
And this year's theme is choose to challenge. So you'll see that hashtag and that um, be a theme that you probably see around social media. Very cool. There's, um, I know there's still a lot of movement. I know the first, oh, I think her name was the first partner of the state of California, Governor Newsom's wife, Mm -hmm. house partner, uh, is titled the first partner. And she has been doing work across the state for a while around gender equality and pay. There's still a wealth gap, huge wealth gap. And not to belittle the issue, but I had a funny thought, like if we ever encountered aliens and other planets and societies, is there going to be a gender gap? Like I, man, if there are really aliens out there, I hope we get to meet them and learn about each other like in a peaceful way. Cause I would be fascinated to know is it just us as humans that have these really bizarre divisions and, you know, ah, a little bit. just curious. I really want an alien to send a space probe, just like we sent one. Like I really want to, to see. Oh my gosh. Renew. There was um something in the paper last week. This orb was, was seen in a picture, um, mm-hmm. an airline. Did you see that? An airline yeah. saw it, stated it, put it in the paper. Like there, girl, there's something out there. <laughs> that we are in quite a time. Hey, so I'm curious for you, why do you feel like celebrating Women's History Month is important? Do you? What's your, how do you feel about it? What's your take? So here's the thing. I appreciate learning about history of groups that are not always represented, right? So groups other than white men. So I love learning about women's accomplishments. I love learning about um, accomplishments of people that we don't necessarily have the narrative of throughout the rest of the year. Um, that I appreciate. Um, I wish it wasn't segmented and compartmentalized. I think that's where I get... Um, it's where I get concerned. Because, like I said, a lot of us are consuming information on social media. And for a lot of people, social media is our book. And I would love to see social media have, or just the conversation, be about accomplishments and moving forward 12 months out of the year instead of just one day or one month or one hashtag on one post. We like everybody picks a day every month. The first of every month is women's history. The second is black. You know what I mean? Like, how would we, how would we do that? I would, I mean, why not? I th- I don't, I think that would be great. Like when you think about where, and I'm just talking about women's month because, yeah. you know, I know we'll get into African-American history month, but women's history month just came out of um, a group of women who lobbied Congress to pass um, a bill that celebrated, it, it started off with a week in March. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure why it was March, um, but it was a week in March. And then it was just enough lobbying. It was a, it was a group of women, like historians, similar to the African-American history, Black History Month. It was a group of people who um, just wanted to celebrate history of this group. Mm-hmm. And that's how it became a month. It started in a um, America National Women's Month started in 82. Mm. That was pretty recent. And it's cool. I haven't seen anything. Um, I haven't seen any 
like I don't, you know, it's just another month to me in terms of just what's being put out there for uh, publicity or PR or like what people are recognizing for Women's Month. I saw a lot for African American History Month. Um, I haven't seen anything much for Women's Month, uh, really? but it's only yeah, but it's oh, only first week of March. Yeah, I'm seeing a uh, lot. Oh, yes, great. Yeah, on your channels. Oh, I great. It kind of reminds me of a holiday, any holiday, when all of a sudden you start to see this stuff showing up in the store really early to celebrate the decoration. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of content. And for me, I feel like, I think it's cool. Just taking some time to reflect, looking back, looking at the present, maybe looking at the future, um, because it does, I guess, encourage us to include the conversation. I love what International Women's Day represents because... Um, I love that it brings solidarity, solidarity across the globe with women's experience. Um, cause I think, unfortunately we have, we share the same experience around the world, whether you're in a village in Zimbabwe or the city of Helsinki, like we're all experiencing, um, as women, similar challenges and we all want to aspire to be better than where we are or want our children to and want the society as a whole. I love that. And I love learning about uh, women just being badass and doing something that's outside of what would be the norm. Yeah. I, and I love highlighting women to do that. And yeah, I, I find it inspiring when to, to hear stories. Um, I just, you know, well, let's have every, and that's, it's cliche. I understand. But like, I, and I do, I love highlighting women who are doing something. Um, I just don't yes. get what the alternative would be. So my vote is keep on. Yeah, sure. Integrate it as we can. Um, I really appreciated when you shared with me the United States of Anxiety podcast. Hmm. Um, I learned a lot about Black History Month in just a couple of their episodes that I never knew. Uh, hmm. So founded by Black historian Carter Woodson. I remember hearing about him. I wasn't quite sure what he did. Uh, and Minister <laughs> Jesse Harland, right, in 1915. They created the Association for the Study of African American Life and History to highlight African American achievement. Uh, 1926, they sponsored Black History Week. I didn't realize it was just a week then. Uh, it was the second week in February, and I didn't know why February. Yeah. February to coincide with the birthdays of dear President Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and, <laughs> Frederick know, Douglas. Douglas. and Frederick Douglas. And Frederick Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that was cool to find that out. And then by the 60s, it evolved to Black History Month. Um, I think what I love about it, again, is just taking that time to recognize our people and to uh, just really encourage like educators in particular. I guess I always thought it was a school holiday, but it was cool to hear about other ways that people of different ages celebrate it. Um, you know, there's always the corny things, you know, wear a dashiki and eat some soul food. But I just think people should always be looking at whether it's fun trivia right now. There's some folks doing some fun trivia online for it or finding ways to just pause and reflect. I guess I see all this as like a holiday, a celebration, a, a time, a time to focus and be intentional about something. So what, what's next up on the calendar for us to celebrate? What else is yeah, coming? Yeah, because it just doesn't stop in March, Melissa. So we have Black History Month in February, February 1st to the 28th or the 29th, depending. Women's History is March 1st to the 31st. Asian American has a month. Asian American Pacific Islander History Month is what it's officially called. That's May 1st through May 31st. Then you have Latin American History Month which is interesting enough, September 15th through the 15th of October. So it's 
30 days though, but spans across two months. And then it also overlaps with LGBT History Month, which is October 1st through October 31st. Um, a lot of a lot of months. So I think there's four, four and a half because Latin American and LGBT um, intersect. But that's like half the year. Yeah. A good third of the year um, recognizing individuals um, or highlighting individuals um, or groups in their accomplishments, which I find uh, a little interesting. I don't remember learning much about a lot of these groups when I was in school. Um, and that's because I went to um, I went to a Christian school. And so I'm curious, Melissa, what do you remember being taught in school yeah, not during any of these months? remember it I really don't like the only thing I remember from childhood was learning about Dr. King and just thinking how cool it was that this black man did something that was phenomenal and about peace and love was how I saw it then and didn't really occur to me what it meant that he was murdered assassinated that that I guess it was it was still celebrated I didn't know that he was really fighting for economics before he died so I learned a lot more as I got older and then really for women's history I remember something about some suffragists, some old white ladies, and I don't even know if they were old, but ladies in white dresses and had no sense that I connected to that because I identified more with women who are black than white women. So not much. Do uh, you remember anything? Um, I remember learning about Martin Luther King, right? I think that's the uh, baseline. Um, but just knowing that there was a civil rights movement, I didn't really learn much until I went to college. That's when I really learned about Black history um, and its entirety and how it fit into like what we are today, who we are today. And I majored in sociology. Um, so I just learned a lot. I, was, I just And it was more out of pure interest and not necessarily part of what my traditional curriculum was to be. Mm. Um, what school, which, which college, which university did you learn? So undergrad, San Diego State University. Um, and I went to graduate school. I learned a lot more in graduate school. Uh, I went to a HBCU, shout out to Howard, hello, yay. Um, and it was interesting when I went there. I learned a lot more when I went to, to Howard. Um, Howard University's perspective or how they taught it, so even just being a grad student, was just out of celebration and really pushing for the idea that students of Howard, you stand on the shoulder of giants. And that's what was always said about the responsibility you had as, as someone who's attending Howard. You are standing on the shoulder of giants. Here's our history. I mean, the cool thing, I mean, I was in the building and actually taught a class. I was in the School of Communication and our building was Freeman's Hospital. So it was, it used to be a hospital for free slaves or free African Americans. And the floor I was on was where the first open heart, so African American did the first open heart surgery and it was in that hospital. So just having that, that level of history, um, just always be present. It was always present, but also with the idea of here's our history we're great um as as a people now what are you going to do 
Wow. You, we need to pay it for and keep it keep it going. That was what was instilled. Uh, it was instilled, I think, to every student at Howard. And that was just a lot different than, of course, high school, even undergrad. I learned a lot about um, the civil rights movement, Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X, um, out of that. And then also another key point just in what I learned, I learned a lot about what schools, the public school system was was doing, well, at least San Diego or Long Beach Unified School District. When I was in my early 20s, so after I graduated, I was um, doing facilitation work as, as a consultant. This was a while ago, and I don't know if you remember this, Melissa, but um, me and another person, we would go into elementary and middle schools and do like diversity, like three to five day workshops with kids, with yeah. students. And it was a lot about, um, with, with elementary kids, it's about being fair. And we had an acronym for fair. And we talked a lot about um, people who look like them in the media. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really eye-opening as to what teachers understood in terms of history of other groups. Understanding as you did? Um, the teachers had very little understanding yeah. or knowledge. Was that different in the same or something else? What that program? was different in the same. Oh, okay. The elementary program. Yeah, I never saw it, but I heard it. Yes. Heard Fairness, it. awareness, inclusion, and respect. That was oh, the, so cool. the acronym. Well, you know, like just looking back at our curriculum in schools, there's not a lot. There's not a lot about black folks and people of color and definitely not a lot about the LGBTQ community or other communities outside of the standard white history. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to shout out to the 1619 report that the New York Times produced, I want to say a year or two ago. It's yeah. dope. I'll post it. So much great history, so much reflection on what has happened between 1619 when supposedly the first slaves stepped foot on the United States till now. And just there's so much rich history that's not learned. And so it takes things like Freedom Schools, for example, which are programs over the summer to allow kids an opportunity to really be enriched in Black history. There's also things like Black Lives Matter in schools, this curriculum that was developed. And actually, our school district in Long Beach started to use some of that curriculum after us um, encouraging or demanding it for two years. So wow. there's more, yeah, there's more and more some great books out there, too, for educators. Uh, a long way to go, that's for sure. Uh, I saw it when you were researching Black History Month. There's a push to move talking instead of about Black history, talking about Black futures. Mm -hmm. And Black Lives Matter has been promoting that a lot. I think it's pretty dope, like thinking about not just where we've come from, though I do feel like that's so important. Yeah. Bob Martin said, if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you're going to, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's so critical, but I love the idea of thinking about the future and our vision because particularly as Black people, and I'd love to know from you and your experience as a woman with heritage from India, mm -hmm. like the stories, the narratives have been about the past and slavery and struggle, which is still here, the struggle. But now it's like, let's change the vision. Let's look at what do we want to create and have in the future. So I personally love it. What do you think about Black Futures Month, that concept? I am here for it. I adore it. I think that's what um, history and future should be both um, part of the conversation, I think, especially for young people who are not interested in the black and white photos, there was a study done um, about, and I, I'll have 
have to get more information on it. But the idea that the civil rights photos or photos of that era, what that does to individuals who see it, because they're all in black and white. There are even photos that have been published like in Time Magazine at that time that were colored photos, because at that time they were turning into, you know, colored television and, and color photos, but that they were actually pressure to keep them in black and white and what that does to people's understanding of history. Um, when you see a black and white photo versus a colored photo. Real? Is that it? I'm sorry. I can't relate and it doesn't feel. Yeah. Real. It's not relatable. And so a lot, a lot of people, regardless of the color of the photo, I think you know, a lot of our young people are focused on the here and now with whether it's education or just history, what does it have to do with them now? Yeah. Um, like, so what that was back then what are we doing now? Um, so I think it's important to know where you come from, but really like I, what I learned at Howard's like, what are you doing now? Like, this is your history where you have tremendous opportunity. Let's do this. You know, someone needs to stand on your shoulders. Um, and then I also looked, I looked at, um, black history. I think it's blackhistorymonth.gov and womenshistorymonth.gov. So they're government websites, right. That have a lot of resources and photos and they're all focused on history. Yeah. I mean, duh, black history, women's history, right? But when I look at internationalwomensday.com, they're about history and the future. That's and cool. when I learn about their their goal is that we're celebrating the past, but we're also looking to, we're strategizing on, on preparing for the future. Mm. I love that. And I think that's something that um, is relevant to all, to everyone, to all groups of, you know, people of color, uh, women, anyone not white men, I guess, <laughs> but moving forward. And I think that's great. I mean, why not? Why not? Do we have an indigenous month yet or just the day Columbus day has been renamed? I think it's Columbus the day has been renamed in California. Uh, it's not okay. here. I say we're kind of ahead of the game. I don't, I, I don't think, I don't know if indigenous people are they considered Asian Pacific Islander? Cause sometimes they're considered part of that. Yeah. No. They get lumped in. Mm -mm. But from what I saw, there was no native American or indigenous uh, history, I need some of that. which is just part of the American narrative. I also mm -hmm. want to touch on growing up and, and now being older and how I understood black history yeah. as a kid. So I grew, I grew up in California and we have what, you know, part of the curriculum is you learn about California history. I think it was like in fourth grade and then eighth grade. There's like, it's in the curriculum where you have to learn American history. So slavery was like this thing. And even slavery and just our nation's history as a whole, the 13 colonies, that was always like a thing that was far removed to me mm -hmm. as a Californian. Mm -hmm. Um because we we learned we learned as America in or in California we were part of Mexico and we were acquired by the United States after the War of eighteen was eighteen eleven eighteen twelve one of those Spanish American War, um, so slavery was like it was part of our history but to me it was like this thing that happened over there the thirteen colonies all of that East Coast there was no um, conversation on how California history played into that yeah. Huh. Um, we learned a lot about the Spanish conquistadors and and people from Spain, El Cortez, the people who came to you to California and why things are in Spanish. We like I learned a lot about that. 
And then that was it. There was no context as to how everything related. Um, it wasn't chronological. It was all just very segmented, um, which is, you know, we never learned about Black history in California. I didn't know until I was much older about segregation tactics in California. I really thought California was, you know, we weren't part of that. We were the Wild West. We didn't have we didn't have Jim Crow in, in California, but we had we had segregation. We had I discrimination. Thought guys, I thought you guys were just hippies, happy, loving hippies. <laughs> I had no idea that there were internment camps of Japanese until I think I moved here. Yeah. And we didn't learn Black history either. And I grew up in the South, so that's a wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. American American uh, school system. <laughs> okay, we're back talking about the recognition, celebration, and exploration of identities. And we want to talk a little bit about our multiracial identity since we're both multiracial people. What's that connection for us? Yeah, that's right. Um, my father is from India and my mother is uh, a white lady from Pennsylvania um, of Irish and German descent, I believe. And what about you, Melissa? My mom sounds like the same lady, white lady from a small town in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. Irish and German descent with a little French as well. <laughs> My dad's uh, African-American. We definitely have some Native American, North American, indigenous Indian. I just can't recall the tribe, unfortunately. Hmm. Part of this is a little erased. So Melissa, okay. So as a biracial person, two different parentage, African and European descent with um, an, an indigenous part as well. Is there a portion of this highlighted history that we talked about that you identify with more as a biracial person? A woman, yeah. excuse me, by not just any person, a woman. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking, what do I identify with through my white heritage? It's things like St. Patrick's Day and we've got uh, some corned beef and cabbage tradition and then it's things like holidays because of our Catholic culture. I think of it as I'm cultured Catholic, Catholicly cultured. Um, but I'd say as far as the, the significant months of celebration, Black History Month is really the only one I've ever related to much. Um, growing up in the South because I presented with dark features and really curly tight hair, um, I really identified as a Black woman. Like growing up, I felt very multiracial. I think the cool thing about us as multiracial people is our identity can be fluid. Um, it was important to me to say I was multiracial back then, but as a woman now, I'm just very much feeling close and connected to my black identity and black history is really fascinating to me. How about you, Rainier? Like, where do you feel like is a biracial narrative for people like us? And I'm so curious for you and your experience, because I don't see a lot of folks from the Indian uh, from Indian background in communities? No, we, um, when I say we, I refer to South Asians. So South Asians are, uh, for the most part, from India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka. We're lumped in with Asia. So we're lumped in with the same group as Chinese, Japanese. Um, we're all completely different, but we got lumped in there. Um, so even in Asian American History Month, I don't see much about the Indian narrative or Indian history. Um, I just know from like my father being one of the first generations, people didn't realize that um, immigrants of color were not really welcome to immigrate to the United States 
um, until the late 1960s, early 70s, 1968 actually is when it was officially allowed. People immigrated, you were able to, but you had to have a special reason. You had to have a special skill. Um, it had to be something very particular, right? So we look at like when the Chinese immigrated to build railroads, um, but other groups, you you can do it. And so my father was one of the first wave of people of color um, from India who came um, as part of that open door, uh, that new open door policy. So what I see, what, what I relate to in history is more about International Women's Day. And the reason why is Women's Day, Women's Month um, is great. I love learning, like I said, I love learning about women kicking ass, breaking down barriers, doing something other than what they were told, you know, is is their, is their place in society. I adore that. Um, history, Women's History Month in the United States always had to me was the white woman narrative of the suffragette movement. I think now as over the, maybe the past decade, I've seen women of color incorporated that particularly African-American women as part of the Women's History Month and having, you know, being a part of that narrative and not just African-American History Month. Um, but growing up, it was mostly um, the suffragette movement in, in that part. And I I just remember thinking, I probably wouldn't have the right to vote if I was back then. And my name is Renu, you know, with the Indian last name. I don't know that I would have had the right. And a lot of people didn't have, a lot of women didn't have the right to vote in the 1920s after uh, women had, you know, were, were granted that. It was white women. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we don't learn a lot about discrimination for the Latin American community at that time, um, particularly in the West. And we didn't know much about the Asian American history and the discrimination they experienced as well. Um, We just didn't, you know, as I've learned throughout college and just self-exploration, you know, learning um, by reading books, Reading books, uh, reading is fundamental, guys. So I just learned there was, I, I didn't fit in any anywhere other than international women. And that's just because my family, uh, my father's side are from is from a small village. And I see cousins who have the opportunity to do awesome things. And I just want them to have the opportunity. Mm. What yeah. would have been some things you would have liked to have learned about as a child growing up about your ethnic background, backgrounds, or other people's? I think a little bit of what I said before, I just wish everything was in context and everything was in chronological order um, instead of like how, how did California fit in the whole narrative? I think it'd be great to just really learn about what was happening in our history at the same time. Mm. So the California history and the conquistadors and their quote unquote discovery of California was always like this separate thing happening. And on the other side of the planet was slavery, civil war, all of that was happening at the same time. Instead of compartmentalizing the history of groups, I would have loved to see it combined together. So it just makes sense. And and, uh, we can understand really how everything has been impacted by the other event. I love to see different perspectives because I remember a little bit growing up in North Florida, a little bit about like the Seminole Indians, which as I was doing my research in the rabbit hole this past week was learning like just how dark skinned they were. And I'm super curious. I want to know more about 
their background, their heritage, their, um, mm. their founding story, their origination story. I want to learn more about how did Native American people and Black people interrelate with one another? How did they do that? How did they come about accepting each other? And yeah. um, the thing about Black History Month that's interesting to me is learning, oh, there was this guy named so-and-so, and then there's this person, that person who did these interesting things that never heard about because it's not built into the narrative in your history book. Um, I also really would have loved to learn more about Asian Americans and yeah. just particularly for me, I, I'd like to have learned about discrimination of people um, as well as like how people came together and how populations and demographics changed over time. Um, I think that would be neat to know why did people move? Uh, why did people come together as a community? Like the black and native American thing is is super cool. Like somehow these folks decided hey, we're going to, we're probably stronger together than apart, or it's, we're, we're going to look beyond some yeah. of the physical features that say that we're different and find a way to coexist. So. And just the history of, of um, indigenous groups in America. They all, I feel like that that history gets swept under the rug. Like, oh, okay, they, you know, we killed the Indians and now they're in reservations and yeah. America, you know, the end, <laughs> like what, you know, I learned about the trail of tears, I think in a chapter of a book once in college or maybe high school it was yeah, just like, Oh yeah, yeah. They're dead. You know, they're gone now. You know that we can, we, as a country, that was genocide. That is present day genocide. And we just like, Oh yeah. Native Americans. Yay. You know, it, it's just, um, to me, that's odd. And I think there's just a lot of history there. Um, you know, I didn't realize how much Asian Americans were discriminated against or Latin Americans, you know, Mexican Americans specifically, um, even after, you know, a large part of the West was Mexico. And so when the America, when the United States won that war to acquire that land, mm -hmm. there were Mexicans there. And all of a sudden they were discriminated against just now because now they're part of this new country, even though they were already there mm -hmm. um, and how their descendants have been treated. Um, it's just, you know, there was segregation in schools in California. I didn't know that until much later. Oh, I've yeah. got one for you. I, I would have loved to have known about Black Wall Street and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. I would have loved to learn about how New Orleans came about and the Creole community. Um, I would have loved to have learned about Black Mexicans and that heritage. Like, mm, all of mm. this stuff has been, has not, has barely been touched upon. It's been so minimized. Like, Indigenous people have been minimized to the blanket with smallpox and Thanksgiving and then poof, they're gone, you know? Yes, they're Guanto so and Pocahontas. Those yes. are like the only ones. Yes. So you know, let's talk a little bit, Rainio, for a couple minutes before we go, like some personal stuff, personal stories of how has your identity, your sense of self and your identity and how you've related changed? Like the way I know you, you have, you you know, have friends of lots of racial backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like you're very um, understanding of the Black community experience and have you, you've been in those spaces. Like, how has that changed for you growing up? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. It's um, <laughs> so again, uh, grew up in Long Beach. Um, I grew up in North Long Beach, which was heavily at that time, African-American and um, Mexican-American, Hispanic. And my father had a dark complexion. And my mother was milky white lady from a small town in Pennsylvania. Um, 
people did not know what to do with that in that group. Uh, and that's what I learned. Uh, and I think that sparked, a, that has a lot to do with what my main interests were in terms of um, race relations or high school, college, my career. Uh, I grew up understanding that where I was, people were going to try to fit me in a box to whatever, whatever that was for them. So people, Long Beach people assumed I was um, Mexican, Hispanic that did not speak Spanish. So I, I walked that lens, like I walked that experience. Um, yeah, I just, people didn't know what to, you know, my name and they just didn't know what to do with that. And so I don't know if you've ever been asked this question, Melissa, but I was asked this question my whole childhood is what are you? And people, I learned at an early age that people really wanted to define you very quickly in their head. Mm-hmm. And um, so again, my father, my name is Indian. It's different. My family uh, from India came to move with, to live with us. So it, to me, in being Indian was very much part of that, my identity. But then I also wasn't Indian enough when we were in the Indian, uh, in our Indian community as well. Uh, and then when I moved to Washington, D.C., uh, I actually understood, again, that it's fluid. It's what people think you are in that area. You kind of have to live your life understanding that people are going to perceive you, perceive me in whatever their experience was. So people, I was assumed to be all kinds of different backgrounds to people. Uh, And I, that's when I also learned a lot about, I learned a lot about identity in grad school, biracial identity. And uh, it does, it has its stages. Yeah, it has its stages. According to research, biracial, multiracial people tend to have identity crisis, like in their early mid twenties. Really, really dealing with sense of self. Did you? Did I? Maybe that's why I decided to study it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I've always battled it. I think I think it's always been because at that time, it, I always say people think I was a peacock, treated me like one because um, they would tell me how exotic it was that my back, what my background was, which was incredibly annoying. That word was used often. How exotic. Your name's exotic. All your background's exotic. Everyone wants to know how my parents met. Because at the time, I think I was one of the first. There are a lot of people with my background now that are younger. But again, my father was one of the first ones to come in through that through the new Immigration Act. So there weren't a lot of people at, at my age um, that were my background. Um, and But through, I just think as you get older, you learn to accept who you are. I, when I was a kid, I used to want my name to be Aaron because I was just tired of having to fight for my name to be um, you know, said correctly and not Renee. And, you know, that whole part, it wasn't until much later where I was, I become really comfortable with that. Like my brother and sister, we all have Indian names. We've all gone through the, um, the stages of wanting to change it to something else. When I was, that's a a lot. When I was a kid, I loved my name, but I wanted my hair to be straight and long. Really? Like a white girl. And that shit never happened. So <laughs> I'm, chemicals. I'm happy. I'm so happy that I've come back to the curly. I want to know, we, we haven't talked about this much. Okay. When have you felt the most Indian? When have I felt the most Indian? Yeah. Or proud to be Indian? A sense of, yeah, that good stuff around Indian identity. 
Um, I'm proud when I see other Indian uh, people doing awesome things. I think that's when I'm, I'm, I feel the most proud. Again, when I see Indians doing something outside the norm. So in my generation, Indians are supposed to be doctors and lawyers. And if you didn't do well in school, you became a business person. That's what the expectation was. And now I'm seeing a lot of people of Indian, Indian American. So not to be confused with Native American, but Indian American um, individuals who are doing other things. They're in nonprofits. They're in social media. They're doing all, they're doing all kinds of things um, outside of the realm of being a doctor and a lawyer. And I say that confidently because that is not a stereotype. That is very much a part of what was in the Indian community growing up was that those were your options. And if you broke from that, that was rough. And I broke from that. So I, I know the impact that had. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of power in a name. My name is Renu. It's not Renee. It's not Elizabeth. It's Renu. And, and I think that's very much uh, a part of uh, my identity. Also, want to say too that when people haven't met me, they just see my name on paper, like uh, like in a resume. They assume I'm a man, which I think is interesting, oh, wow. as well. Yeah. Oh. And so, like looping back to thinking about these celebrations of identity identity throughout the year, have you ever seen Indian heritage celebrated in Asian Pacific Islander Middle Eastern South Asian month, whatever it may be called? No, not at all. Yeah. Now that's just from my experience. I'm I'm sure it's out there somewhere, somewhere. Maybe Kamala Harris can uh, spur that. I'm pretty sure she'll be highlighted Asian American month this yeah. time around. Uh, but uh, that's no, not really. Wow. Like we, you know, I think you're starting to see more uh, represented in media mm -hmm. as Americans and not as the heavily accented uh, tech guy from India or the or the Indian restaurant guy. Um, I think you, we are starting to see some more representation just as an Indian American. Again, yeah. not to be confused with Native American. Right, which I'm reminded, I feel like you have a really funny story of a boyfriend and the mother. <laughs> I had no idea which Indian you were. Oh, <laughs> she knew, she, she knew, she just knew I was Native American, yes. She just knew it. Um, so had dinner with uh, my significant other's mom, right? So that's a big deal when you're having dinner. First time we've been together for, I think a year at that point. I think we, we met before, but this was like a dinner with the mom, with moms. And um, she just started asking me or telling me about how she's Indian too. And she started talking about the tribe that her grandmother was from and how she had long hair. And she showed me this old, like a, a picture she took on her phone of this old black and white photo. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking, wait, she what is, she's telling me this because she thinks I'm Indian, <laughs> Native American. And, and she at the end, but I was like, I'm not going to assume. Maybe she just wants to share yeah. her uh her history and in the end of her talking and showing me the photo she asked me what tribe <laughs> i was part of i was like oh and then what do you say to the mother 
of the love of your life, right? You don't want to. Yeah. Is that a teachable moment at that moment at dinner? I I didn't think it was a good timing to like oh. break down the difference. <laughs> um, but my boyfriend did. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That was awkward. Oh, it was just God. his his response was, "Mom, she's not Native American. <laughs> she's from India." That's and then awesome. I glossed over it by like, don't oh, tell me more about your family because I didn't want right. to embarrass her. Um, oh, but job. yeah, it's still, you know, and Jay-Z had that as a song back in the day. Are you Indian with a daughter, Indian with a feather? Oh, wow. Remember that? So it's a, and a lot of people ask that question growing up and still do. Yeah. And so I have to break it down of saying India from India. Because a lot of people do, a lot of people still think Indians like from India are the same as Native Americans, they really uh -huh. believe that. Yeah. Thank well, you, Christopher Columbus. Thank you, CC. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I think this just goes back to my argument that these heritage months are important. It's important for people to learn about difference, to see people who look like them when, you know, just thinking about the moments you felt proud. It was learning about people who look like you have a similar background and experience and are doing something maybe out of the ordinary, maybe something special, maybe something just ordinary, you know, just to, so that we can see ourselves out there in the world. So I, I, I love this conversation. There's so mm -hmm. much more. I think we're going to explore with it as we continue to talk on the end note. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I think it's about time for us to wrap it up. I want to thank everybody for listening in. Please stay tuned for our next episode. We'll be coming out March 22nd. And where can they find us? Yeah. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at the EndNote Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at EndNote Podcast. So Instagram is the EndNote Podcast. On Facebook, it is EndNote Podcast. And then you can also find us on a website at verbworks.org slash endnote. Until then, guys, talk to you next week. Bye.